today, yesterday, yesterday. Yes, so it's a Holy Spirit day. Um, so I think you guys have been praying for quite a long time. So we've had five weeks of Alpha already. Um, in terms of numbers, um, I think usually every Wednesday we have about 20 people coming. I think we only know of one official dropout, I think. But basically, um, we've had quite numbers quite high every week. Um, on Saturday, um, obviously, a lot of people are usually very busy. So I think we had about 13 people, 12 or 13 people, 13 people. So um, we were really, really happy with that, obviously. Um, and um, the day was just really, really amazing. Um, and I just want to really thank you for all your prayers. And I'm um, yeah, just really grateful to God for what he's been doing. Um, so John B., young John B., um, gave a talk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I couldn't go for hikes. <laughs> uh, so John B. gave a talk on um, the Holy Spirit, which was really great, very powerful, and um, it was really sincere. And that really set the way. Um, for God to do his work. Um, and then Don came along, gave his testimony, which was pretty powerful. Um, had everybody really, um, I think, just amazed. Um, and I think that really was just wonderful because then um, during our minute time of ministry, um, I think pretty much everybody had prayer. Um, and we um, saw that either their hands were out or their hands were up. Um, and yeah, the Holy Spirit's presence was just really there. Um, and I know that there were people who really gave their lives to Jesus yesterday, um, which is just fantastic. <clears throat> yeah, so I just really encourage you, if you wouldn't mind, just keep on praying for them. Because I think, you know, as, as heaven increases in number, I think the enemy uses this opportunity to, you know, start attacking and trying to sabotage. So really just pray for the next few weeks as Alpha continues that, um, that also those people would speak with boldness as well to the other people that didn't come. So we're about half that didn't manage to come. Um, so really just pray that they'll just continue to... Um, to just grow and that the seeds would be continue to be planted. Um, the people that didn't come, there were a number that really um, were searching and asking lots about the Holy Spirit. So I think we really believe that God's hand is upon this Alpha. Um, and yeah, we're just really grateful for what he's doing. Um, also, Beacon is working with um, and, and a couple of other churches, including St. Paul's. And we're just really grateful for the kind of established relationships that we're getting as well. And um, yeah, there's a real sense of unity and excitement. So um, yeah, thank you. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry, Owen's asked me to pray. Um, <clears throat> yeah, God, so we are just so thankful for what you're doing. Lord, we thank you that it's really not about us. Um, Lord, that if it was, it would just not work. Um, but it's really about your hand. Um, and we just pray your anointing and your blessing upon Alpha. Um, we thank you for each member that came and gave up of their time, Lord. We thank you that that has eternal consequence, that it's not just about a Saturday, that you are doing things. Um, Lord, we pray that you would just bless each person that came, Lord. We pray that you would be um, speaking to them this week as well, Lord, that the enemy would not be able to get a foothold at all. Um, Lord, that they would just know that you met with them. Lord, we pray that you would have your hand upon them. Um, we pray for the next few weeks, God. We pray that you would um, give the leaders as well a kind of insight as to what we should be doing long term to encourage and bless these people. Um, we thank you that you're at work, Lord. We thank you that uh, it is your desire to see every person saved. And um, we thank you that you're working in Brixton. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come on this earth and in this community. Amen. Well, that goes into nicely my next point, the mission statement which uh, is all about what Emma's just been saying. It's great. So when I queue, not yet, when I queue, uh, it was atrocious, basically. Sorry, church, you were atrocious at knowing the mission statement, apart from Emma. So I'm going to be nice to those visual learners, and we're, it's the first person that's going to put their hand up and tell me the missing word will get a suite. Okay, cue, go. 
that's back to front. But yes, uh, who? No, hand up. Right. The glory of God. No. Oh, big fail. No, uh, uh, no, sweet for you. The first one. Let's go to the second one as you're on it. Second one. It's not the glory of God. Any overtakers? Ah, uh, hands up. The glory of fruit. <laughs> no. The glory of. Hands up, hands up. Janine. No. Hands up. Not taking. No. Wow, we don't know the statement. Yes! To the glory. You're not going to forget that now, are you? To the glory of Christ. Okay, that's the last part. You get a big swig. That is important. The glory of Christ. Okay, right. The first bit. First hands up. No, you've had one. <laughs> yes, well done. Well done. Okay, so all together, serving the community through the church to the glory of Christ. Well done. That's the most important thing. Well done, everyone. Okay, that is the most important thing, isn't it? Knowing the mission statement. That's what we're doing. And Emma was just giving an example about that, so that's great. But I'm just going to give out a couple more sweets if you've been listening. Two names for the dedication, parents excluded. Amber and... Yeah, well done. Okay, you get a sweet. But I'm going to test if you've been listening from previous weeks, okay? The offering box, right? What, and I want a full answer for this, okay? What goes in the offering box? A full answer. Stella's very eager to get a sweet, isn't she? I'm going to ask you, Stella. Oh, she's on the welcome team. Oh, oh. Oh, no, no, excluded for the minute. Sorry, someone else. What, who's not on the welcome team? What goes in the offering box? This has Emma, Emma. Yep, and expand a bit more or you get half a sweet. What are the welcome cards for? Uh, not a full enough answer, I'm afraid. I'll, I'll, Whoever wins it will get this, and if they're kind, they'll give you one out of it. Okay, do we have a full answer? I might have to go to the welcome team if we can't get it. Okay, back to you, welcome team. She don't know. Good. Yeah, did you hear that? Right, so the welcome box, if you've changed address, you can update your details there. If you've got any questions... You can put them in, and obviously you can use money. Now, I think you need to share this with Ben and someone else, because you had a lot of help. Right, that's your lot. Okay, you're too, too atrocious this week. I'm not going to give out any more. So, <laughs> okay, there you go. What? Huh? Oh, oh, we're going to have a break now, and I'm going to eat the rest.
why, why are we doing that? Why are we celebrating my dad's 80th in the way, in the way that we do? And uh, it's basically this. Um, a few years ago, Paulie and I realised, you know, our, our parents are getting old. Yeah? I'm, I know that might sound normal. Pauline's dad's eight, 85. Uh, my dad's 80. Uh, Pauline's mum is like 78, 79. And we made the decision as they were getting older that we would, we would intentionally celebrate um, their birthdays and stuff. Um, and we did it because obviously there'll, there'll come a point where in the natural course of time, and unless something else happens, they, they, they will die and we won't be able to do that. But we also did it because we wanted to model something uh, for our children. Yeah? So just so you... Yeah. Just so you know that. Yeah? Um, I, uh, so we wanted to model for our children um, uh, the importance of honouring parents. Yeah? And so um, we... You know, I'm, I don't know that we do it great beyond the fact that we do it, but we, we do do it for that reason. And so I tell you, because if that were me... If I was sitting there, I'd be like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. That's really interesting that I can model things for my children by the way I treat my parents or the way I treat my, um, my uncle or my aunt or whatever. It was interesting because five years ago when we had a big thing for my dad's 75th, one of the things that we found out just in time for his 75th birthday, uh, my brother came over, he, he's not able to come over this time, um, was we, um, we got back in touch with my, my nephew, uh, Joshua, who had, who had been taken to Scotland by his mum when he was 18 months old, and we hadn't seen him for like 16 years. And we got back in touch with him just before my dad's 75th, and, and we gave my dad a photograph of Joshua, which we'd, you know, we, they, they had sent. And I remember him being handed the photo, and he nearly fell over, like he was shocked. Um, this year, at my dad's 80th, Joshua is with us. He's, he's, moved, he's living in our house, and um, I think he'll be there this afternoon. He knows. He knows the family way. Um, even though he doesn't know the family way, he knows the family way. Um, and so it's just interesting how these things change. And so I, I, I say that to you because you might have children here, and you've never thought to yourself that you're modelling something with your kids by the way you treat your parents, but you are. And so I wanted to explicitly say that so you might think about doing that yourself, something. And also that I just need to remind my kids all the time we're modelling something for you here, girls. Okay. It's been a wonderful time of, of, of worship. The, the presence of God has been with us. And, and, my, and my prayer is that the presence of God will continue with us um, as I speak. So I just want to pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're here. Uh, we thank you that just there are just these moments, God, when you, you open up something and, and we see that life is more than about what we see and that there is a spiritual dimension that we sometimes don't appreciate, but it's there. And Father, my prayer this day is that you, Holy Spirit, would be active and working in this place. So I read earlier in the week, I pray, Father, that if we hear your voice today, we will not harden our hearts, but we will melt them and we will surrender them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
So over the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at the story of Joseph. We know, all know Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. Um, and we entitled this, this, this series, God Meant It For Good. And I say that almost every time I speak on it. We're coming towards the end of the story. There might be one more occasion that we speak on Joseph. Last time when we looked at Joseph, he had, um, he had come out of prison. He had now gone into... Into the, if you like, into the employment of Pharaoh. Um, and, and I said that the only reason Joseph could have done that was because he had dealt with the hurt and the pain that he must have felt when he was in prison because he had been sold into slavery by his brothers, uh, maybe let down by his father. He had been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He had been forgotten by the butler. And he might have even thought to himself, uh, where is God? He's forgotten me. All, all those things could have, could have been causing Joseph pain and hurt. And that would have been natural. And I said that he must have dealt with that. Because had he not dealt with that, God would not have exalted him in the way that he did. So, so Joseph went from being forgotten in prison to being exalted in Egypt to the highest place he could be exalted to and he was given a name above other names he was given a name by Pharaoh and every knee in Egypt bowed to him as and Pharaoh gave him absolute power he said apart from the throne you're king in Egypt and we talked about that um, and so I talked about the fact that he must have dealt with his hurt and we also talked about the fact that he was a type of Christ because what happened to Joseph is exactly what happened to Jesus. You know, Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Jesus was, uh, was falsely accused and went down into death and, and Joseph goes down. Jesus is then exalted to the highest place. And I said that he was a, he was a type of Christ and, and um, we talked about that a little bit, but I also said he must have had a new perspective on handling hurt and that we needed a new perspective on handling hurt and somehow he must have got to the place where he recognized God is in this God is in this and because God was in it it meant he absolved others of blame who he could have rightfully blamed and and held things against them he absolved them of blame because he realized oh God is in this God is in this And as a result of absolving others of blame, he was able to forgive them. He was able to forgive. And as a result, God healed his heart and was able to use him to the fullest. I talked about the fact that God uses you even with all your stuff and all your hurt. But he uses you to the fullest when he's dealt with your heart. Because he wants you to respond with grace. Yeah? So when Joseph got to that place of, of absolute power in Egypt, if he had still been a bitter man, woe betide some people. Woe betide some people. But actually he wasn't a bitter man. He had been, God had dealt with his heart. God had restored his heart and he responded with grace. And that's what God wants us to do. So we looked at that. And so you could summarise Joseph in this way. God loved Joseph. So it's important for us to understand that. God loved Joseph. And through the suffering, he changed him. Yeah? He, he, didn't, he didn't change the gift. 
God had given Joseph a gift. He was able to interpret dreams. You didn't see that, oh, he got better at his gift. It wasn't that the gift changed. It was his character changed. And because his character changed, his gift became far more useful. And he became far more discerning and wise as to how to use it. It was about his character, not about his gift. God changed him through suffering. Then you read, you reach Genesis chapter 42. And uh, if you remember the story, um, the, you know, the, the theatre production, Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat, um, the, the, the song goes, um, now in Canaan the future looked rough. Joseph's family were finding it tough. And so it goes on. I could sing it. I love that song, actually. It's one of my favourites. No, I'm not going to sing it. So, uh, um, and then, and then the, the, the brothers say, because the famine has caught us unawares, we are sick. We are weak. We are getting scared. Yeah. It's enough to make anyone weep. We are down to our very last sheep. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. So when I say I know it, it's literally true. Yeah. Um, in my family, I wasn't gifted with a singing voice. My dad can sing. I can't sing particularly. Anyway, so Genesis 42, and I'm just going to read. I'm, I'm just going to be reading a few verses because basically we're going to we're covering a number, you know, a bit of a sesh, um, bit of the story today. So Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Um, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. The ten, then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So off they go. Now, we know a little bit later in the story that this is 22 years after Joseph has been sold into Egypt. So Joseph is sold at, at when he's 17. By the time he's 39, he's been, he's been prince of Egypt for, for sort of nine years. Or, yeah, yeah, nine years. And back in Canaan, the brothers are still there. And it's really interesting because in 22 years, back in Canaan, nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. So Jacob still lives with fear. He still lives with fear. 22 years later, he refuses to send Benjamin with them. Why? Because he's frightened. He's afraid of what might happen because of what happened with Joseph. He's fearful. The brothers hadn't won the trust of their father in all that time. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment, that in 22 years, nothing had changed. Any, any battle that they were having, spiritually or physically, had, hadn't changed. They were still there. They were still captured by the same thing. There's a question that faces us. How many of us are still caught with the same sin now that we were fighting 20 years ago? If you're still fighting the same sin... No matter how old you may have appeared or things have moved on and physically, practically, things have changed, if you're still fighting the same thing, then something, something hasn't changed. Don't fool yourself into thinking that change is simply a practical thing. It's not. There are spiritual changes. For Joseph, everything had changed. He had gone from a slave 
to being a servant in prison to being the prince of Egypt. Yeah, he had gone from being someone who it, it, it tells us that he was he was distressed when his brothers threw him into the pit and sold him into slavery. He went from that to being a man of absolute grace. Things had changed for Joseph. Nothing had changed for Jacob in particular, or for the brothers. You see, serving God, like truly serving God, in a spiritual sense, will bring change. Serving God in a practical sense might do nothing. Yeah? I could be on the welcome team, and, and our, the welcome team is great, by the way, so I'm not, okay, I, I could preach, or I could be on the welcome team, I could be in any particular role in the church, and I could do that practically and nothing change. Nothing in me change. It's only as I allow God through the circumstances of my life and through Joseph, it was through suffering that he changed. It was through the suffering that he went through. But the brothers, it looks like nothing has changed. So they go down to Egypt and uh, uh, they don't take Benjamin. They go down, they meet Joseph. Why they meet Joseph? He's the governor and it says this. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognised them. And although Joseph recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. He remembered his dreams. So we have this situation where Joseph has been promoted to Prince of Egypt um, he's now dishing out food, uh, operating in that sort of way. His brothers turn up, he sees them, he recognises them, and he remembers the dream. Ah, God is beginning to vindicate me. Not only has God been with me in my suffering, but where I have been unjustly treated, God is beginning to vindicate me. Because the very thing that I had dreamed is happening before my eyes. His brothers bowed down with their face to the ground. So for Joseph, he was beginning, and that probably was the biggest vindication for him. Being, being prime minister of Egypt, prince of Egypt, wasn't a thing that Joseph aspired to, but he probably did aspire to be vindicated in front of his brothers. That probably meant more to him. And so then he begins to test his brothers, doesn't he? He tests them, and it's funny, his testing, this whole next section of, of the story revolves around one man. It revolves around one man. Uh, can anyone just hazard a guess? Who does it revolve around? This whole next section, the next two or three chapters, it revolves around one person. Oh, my love. I've got no sweets. But you're right, it's Benjamin. This whole section revolves around Benjamin. Now you might think, well, how does it revolve around Benjamin? I mean, he never speaks. We hardly meet him. He's the youngest of the brothers. But when Joseph tests his brothers, the thing he says to them is, look, they say to him, no, no, we're honest. He's, he says, look, you'll come, you're spies. You're trying to come spy out the land. They say, no, 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 we're honest men. We're honest men. We're not like that. Yeah? He says, the only way I'll know that you're not like that, is you go back and you bring your younger brother. It revolves around Benjamin. It revolves around Benjamin, I think, for three reasons. First of all, for Joseph, he needed to see from his brothers 
the, that how they treated Benjamin to know whether they had changed. He needed to see that. Secondly, it revolves around Benjamin because for the brothers, Benjamin was a reminder of their sin. They had killed his older brother, so they thought. He was a reminder to them. And for Jacob, his father, Benjamin was the sum of all his fears. His biggest concern was that he might lose Benjamin. So this whole section revolves around how people have related to this one young man who never speaks, doesn't ever say anything. I mean, he gets favour upon him, but he doesn't do anything. So Joseph says to his brothers, okay, if, you're, if, if what you're saying is true, go home, get your brother and bring him back. He wants Benjamin as a sign of change. And then he throws them into prison just to make it like he's like really angry. He throws them into prison and then he gets them out of prison after three days. He says, look, do this and I will live. One of you stay here. The rest of you go back. Take food, but bring back your brother. They're absolutely mystified by this and they say this. This is what the brothers say. Surely we are being punished because of our brother, and they mean Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And then Reuben says, I told you so. I told you so. He says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't listen. So we find that Joseph, he, he touches them at the rawest point. He tells them, bring back Benjamin. They're like, oh my goodness, what is going on to us? This is because of what we did to Joseph. All this stuff is beginning to happen to us. And and you can tell that although for 22 years they've been sitting with this, the guilt of it is just below the surface. The concern about it is just below, it's not very far below the surface. Because it's the first thing, pressure comes. What happens when pressure comes? They go, oh, it's because of what happened over there that this is now happening to us. Reuben, exactly the, same, exactly the same position he took before. Yeah? He said to them, don't, don't kill him, don't kill him. And then he says, I told you you shouldn't have killed him. I told you. 22 years later, they're having that conversation. So they're given food and, 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 and they're going back and they stop. And remember now, they're fearful. This man has said to them, you need to come back with your brother. They're fearful. Why are they fearful? Because they know how their father's going to respond. They know that this could end up bringing out what they never, ever wanted to be brought out, their unconfessed hidden sin. That's what this could bring out. They stop at the place for a night to feed their animals, and one of them notices back in his sack his silver. Now, if that were you or me, we might go, wow, look, they've given me my money back. Isn't that wonderful? You know, God's blessed me. But, but these guys, they don't respond like that. It says their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling. Why would they do that? Why would you spawn like that when something, something seems to have happened? Oh, you've got unexpected favour. Well, it's because the unconfessed sin, it always leads to guilty conscience. And you begin to wonder, why has that happened to me? You can get a bit paranoid. Why, 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 did, why did that happen? Why did they give me that? Why were they nice to me? What is it? What is it I've done? Has anyone found out? They're feeling guilty. They're feeling jumpy. And they come back to Jacob, their father. And they explain to Jacob what happens, and we then get a different response 
So with the brothers, you see, for them, it's sin that's the problem. It's unconfessed sin. That's the problem. With Joseph, it was suffering. God, God shaped him through suffering. With the brothers, it's sin. What is it for Jacob? It's not sin. It's not suffering. But it's this. Their father Jacob said to them, You've deprived me of all my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. How would you describe that? Because I can do that really, really well. How would you describe that type of response? Anyone? Describe that response. Sorry? Self-pity. So Jacob is full of self-pity. Oh, everything's against me. It's all about me. And I can do this. Yeah, this is normal. (laughs) Self-pity. It's all about me. Everything is against me. Reuben comes, tries to help his father. Uh, "Father. Father, take both my sons. Kill them if I do not bring back Benjamin to you. But send him with us. Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. Yeah? You see, when, you've, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, you can be unreasonable in how you think. You cannot listen to people who bring reasonable advice. Now, okay, Reuben's being a little bit extreme. Kill my sons. And it's like, what good is that going to do? Yeah? So he's being a little bit extreme. But Jacob is completely consumed with his own stuff. My son will not go down there with you. And it's almost like that's the end of the matter. We're not talking about this anymore. He's not coming. There's this defiance. And then he heaps guilt on them. His brother is dead and he's the only one left. And they're probably standing heads down. If harm comes to him, you will bring down my grey head to the grave in sorrow. You can imagine how the brothers feel. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. So we have a situation where they're now eating the food, the food runs out, and I don't know how long afterwards, Jacob says to the brothers, go back and buy some more food. Yeah? Can you just go back, get some more food? And Judah now, Reuben's had his go, Judah stands up and says, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. We won't go down. We're not going anywhere. Jacob says again, or it says, Israel asked, and this is often how we respond. So he's been cornered. Yeah, Jacob now, in his self-pity, he's been cornered. And he says, why did you bring all this trouble on me? Why, why me? He's still there. Why did you bring all this trouble on me by telling him that you had a brother? Why did you even say that? Again, when self-pity consumes us, we can become so self-absorbed. We just even, we, you know, and their response is, we didn't stand up and say, hey, we've got a brother at home. And he asked us questions and we just answered them. How were we to know what he was going to say? We didn't know. Self-pity can often make us um, a bit paranoid, not see the truth, not see the reality. We don't listen to people. What gets us out of self-pity is this. For Jacob, it's this. 
It's the harsh reality of life. If they don't go down and bring back more food, we will die. So for Jacob, the only thing that arrests him out of self-pity is the harsh reality of life. So then Judah says to him, send the boy with me. We'll go now so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible. It's a little bit more reasonable than Reuben. If we had not delayed, we could have gone there and back twice. So come on. So, he, so Judah brings his father to reality. You need to face reality here, Jacob, father. If we do not eat, we will die. Therefore, you have to face up. And then he says to them, Israel says to them, if it must be, then do this. And he gives them some instructions. Take your brother and also go, go to the man at once. And may God grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. You see, sometimes your struggle's not suffering. Sometimes God isn't working through you because of suffering. Sometimes he's working through you maybe because of self-pity. And what's behind self-pity, the root of self-pity, is fear. Yeah? That's why it said Jacob was afraid to send Benjamin. He was afraid to lose the, the only other son he had of the one woman that he loved. He was frightened to lose him. And yet he's, he has to face his fears because of the harsh realities of life. And it may be that even among us, there are people where the root thing is fear. And fear is causing you to do things that are just unreasonable. At some point, you will have to face the harsh reality. And hopefully, maybe it's a Judah, somebody around you, who says, look, we need to face up to this. Either we sort this out or, 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 or this just doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's what happened to Jacob. He had to give it up. He had to face his fears. And so he allows them to take Benjamin with him. And that's massive because obviously this is, this is about the people of God. This is God's plan to get them into Egypt where they're going to be looked after for a while. Jacob had to face his fears. Sometimes we have to face our fears. So they go down to see Joseph and they don't know that Joseph knows everything that's going on. They don't know that. Why would Joseph question them to the point where he understood about their father and their younger brother? But he does. Joseph sees Benjamin and he says to his steward, look, take, take the men to my house. Yeah? And kill, kill an animal and we're gonna, they're going to eat with me. That's what he says. What do the brothers do? Remember they're very jumpy? Remember they're unsure about Egypt? It says... Um, the men did as Joseph told them, and they took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They're frightened. They're like, oh, why are we being brought here? Why has he brought us to our house? And they say, they say it's ridiculous because they get a bit paranoid. We were brought here because they don't know why they're brought here, so they make it up. We were brought here because of the silver. That's why we were brought here. And because it was put back in our sacks, he wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. I'm like, 
Joseph is lord of the whole of Egypt, and you're worried he wants to take your donkeys. Yeah? Now, if someone was there and they said, hold on, boy, just, just think about that for a moment. Does he really want your donkeys? Don't you think he could? He doesn't need to do that to take your donkeys. But they're paranoid. They're fearful. So they go to the house. So what do they do in their fear? Because this, this is what we would do. They go up to the steward. They say, mm, we've, got to, we've got to try and cut this off. So they go to the steward. They say, uh, can, can I just have a word? Can I just have a quick word? Um, you know, when we came last time, um, thanks for the food. Really appreciated that. Somebody put money back in our sack. So we brought that money and we brought more money. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, oh, yeah. And that just confuses them. Don't worry about it. It says, don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure. Oh, yeah. So they are completely thrown. Simeon comes back to them. They present him all the gifts. And what do they do again? They bow down. Yeah, they bow down again. Joseph looks at Benjamin and his, his, his mother's own son. And he says, God... Be gracious to you. And he goes out and he weeps. Now Joseph all the time is giving little clues to his identity that they don't pick up. Yeah? Joseph's questioning up front to his brothers. They must have wondered, how on earth did he know all of that? Why is he asking all those questions? He goes out and he prays. It, it then says, it, they sit down to have their food and it says, the men had been seated before him in the order of their ages from the firstborn to the youngest. How, did, how does he know that? And, and it says, and they looked at each other in astonishment. How did, Reuben, why are you there? And why is Benjamin? How did he know? He's given little clues. Now, they are totally consumed with their own thing. They don't see it, but he's given them clues. Why has Benjamin got five times as much food as anyone else? Why? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So they eat with him. They probably think, this is great. You know, after a little while, they're just getting into this. Oh, this is wonderful. We're sharing with Joseph. But Joseph has one more test for his brothers. It wasn't enough to make them feel like they were spies, even though he knew they weren't. It wasn't enough to force them to bring Benjamin, even though that was the sum of all Jacob's fears. He has one more test. And he sends them off with their food, with their money, and he sends them off with his cup in Benjamin's sack. And off they go. And then he says to his servant, because he's playing a game now, he says, look, those guys, and obviously when you're in, when you're in Egypt, you don't question him, because I think we would question this. I'm not going to do that for you, boss. That's, really, that's, that's not fair. That's not nice. He says to his servant, go and, go and get those guys. Go and stop them and tell them that, you know, why have you, why have you repaid good for evil? One of you's taken my cup. And whoever's got the cup, they, they're coming back here. So off he goes. Um, to, to talk to the brothers, and uh, they say, whoa, are you joking? Why on earth would we repay you 
um, you're good to us with evil. We would never do such a thing. Far be it for us to do that. If we have done that, whoever's done that, they die. That's what the brothers say in their haste and in their desire to, to, to prove themselves innocent. So what happens? He starts with the firstborn, goes through, goes through, goes through, comes to the youngestborn, and there's the cup. I love their response. I love their response. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. This is a sign. There have been others that the brothers had changed. Because 22 years before, they sacrificed Joseph. And now they're going to defend Benjamin. The very thing that they had done before to sacrifice Joseph. And you remember the story? They threw him in the pit and they sat down to eat their lunch like it didn't matter. Now, Benjamin is found with a cup in his sack. They tear their clothes and they all go back to Egypt. Do you know what they could have done? Do you know what they could have done? They could have simply said, glad it wasn't me. Benjamin, we're going to pray for you. <laughs> we're going to pray. We'll go back to Father and we will make up another story that Benjamin was taken by an eagle that came down and picked him up. They tear their clothes and they return to the city. Again, Jacob gives them another hint. He says to them, when they get there, don't you know a man like me can find things out through divin divination? Don't you know that? Judah replies, what can we say, my Lord? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt we are now, my Lord, slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. So Judah basically says, okay, we're guilty. You've found us. We're guilty. Take us all into slavery. We'll do that. And do you know what? Judah would have preferred that to what Joseph then suggested. He would have preferred, let's all go into slavery. But what Joseph suggests, he says, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup becomes my slave. You guys, go in peace. Go in peace. He's found them out. So Judah, who's now taken a bit of a lead, he says, pardon your servant. Let me speak a word to my Lord. He recognises, pardon us, let me speak a word. Don't be angry. And he relays the story of the father, of the sons, of the, old, of the son that was, that was lost, of this now becoming the favoured son. He just relays the story of what happens. And he says, do you know what? I can't go back without him. Therefore, if, if someone needs to stay, take me. So Judah makes the sacrifice personal. Take me. If someone needs to sacrifice for him, take me. They didn't do that before. 
No one did that before for Joseph, but they are doing that for Benjamin. Joseph can now contain himself no longer. Because though the brothers had come back and they're jumpy, they're not sure, in reality, Joseph's full of grace. He's full of grace. He loves them. So he makes himself known. It says he could not control himself before all his attendants. And he cried, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. He gets to the stage where he cannot control his emotions any longer. They've been pent up for 22 years. There's no indication that when Joseph became a prime minister of Egypt that he wept so loudly that he was uncontrolled. But here he's uncontrolled completely. I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They're still like, oh my goodness. This for them is not a sense of, what a relief. This for them is, oh my goodness. Of all people, the man who has the power is, is, is our brother. The one that we try to kill. And Joseph, because ultimately he's a practical man, actually, he says, do not now be distressed. And this is why I've gone on and on about this idea that Joseph must have dealt with his hurt. He must have, because you just don't respond like this. If they had done to, to you what they had done to you, unless you had been able to deal with it in such a way that God had come to you, you would not respond like this. He says to them, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. What? Don't be angry with yourself because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So already he's, 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 he's given them it. It was to save lives that God sent me here. Don't be distressed. This isn't about you. God sent me here. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me father to Pharaoh. Joseph's dealt with some stuff. And in dealing with some stuff, he's come to his brothers and he said, look, he's reassuring them. Don't worry, this, this is what I mean. Joseph extends grace to them. Yeah? They were found out. And they were found out by the one who had the power to do what he would will with them. But Joseph extends grace to them. You shall live in the region of Goshen. Go, get your father, come back. You'll live there. I will provide for you there. So he extends grace. But his grace is not, he's not just being polite and nice. His grace is kindness. And kindness, the, the difference between kindness and niceness is I can be nice to you, but not really like you. Yeah. Kindness is when you do something more than just a sort of a public face of being nice. He says to them, 
Don't be distressed. Don't be angry. But he's not just talking to them. He says, you're going to live in Goshen. Where's Goshen? It's the best of the land. And I'm going to provide for you there. So his grace has feet on it. There's action that goes with grace. It's not just the right thing to do. So then he kisses them and he weeps over them and he hugs Benjamin. And for him, this is deep. Yeah? For Joseph, this is deep news. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. For them, it was like, oh, that's great. Joe, you must be so happy. They've all turned up. And he's probably like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's, great. it's massive. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. So the brothers go back. And what's the first thing you notice when they go back? They go to Jacob. Suddenly they have proved themselves trustworthy. Why? Because Benjamin's with them. They go back and Benjamin's with them. The biggest fear he had was that Benjamin wouldn't be. Benjamin's with them. I can imagine Judah approaching his father and saying, Father, where's Benjamin? And do you know what? That probably broke something in Jacob, the fear. Probably broke at that moment. And they told Jacob, he's stunned. He did not believe them. But then he sees all the carts and all the stuff, and he's like, whoa. It's a wonderful story. But as I said last week, there's part of this picture is it's a picture of the gospel. Because God has found you out. And he's found me out. Yeah? My sin has come to him. And it's, it's obvious. I can't even pretend to hide it anymore. And I realize that the one who's found me out has the power to change everything. And actually, what does he do? He extends grace to me. The gospel's a message of grace. We need to be reminded of that. But I feel that there are three responses to this. And the way we're going to do it is I'm just going to share what they are uh, briefly now. The band are going to come up. We're going to share communion. And that's going to be how we respond. Yeah? So if you normally share communion... I'm encouraging you to still normally share communion. You might have a slightly different focus on it as you do it. The first thing we need to note is all this time this story is going on, God doesn't just love Joseph. He doesn't just love the one who suffered. He loves the brothers, even though they've sinned. And he loves Jacob even though he's full of himself. Yeah? You need to know that. God doesn't just love the, the one who suffered, the one who's got the gift, the one who appears to be... Fa- he doesn't just love him. He loves the brothers. And he loves the father. And therefore... And, and yet he's, he's shaping their character through different ways. And so we have an opportunity for God to shape our character depending on where we sit down, where we come down with this. So for some of us... We're like Joseph. 
And your character is shaped through suffering. You know that. That's your life. You've suffered. It's been difficult. Maybe it's, maybe it's physical health. Maybe it's emotional. You just know that hey, I've suffered. And you're not trying to be, um, it's not self-pity. You just know that's it. I've suffered. Through suffering, Joseph becomes humble and dependent and is used by God. And if that's you this morning, I want you to come and share communion and you might just want to share it with somebody. Maybe it's somebody who stands with you in your suffering, who prays for you, who comforts you. Maybe you feel you're someone who suffered, but you just think, Do you know what, I want to stand with somebody else in their suffering. But this morning, we're acknowledging God has shaped some of us through suffering. That's Joseph. Secondly, God shapes some of us through dealing with our fears. You face your fear. And that's Jacob. You see, self-pity wasn't just there. Oh, it's part of Jacob's personality. There was a root cause, and it was a fear. Yeah? And the harsh reality of life meant that Jacob had to face up to his fears. But actually, God was amazingly gracious when he did. And so for some of us this morning, it's fear. You just need to be honest with that. Now, you, you can say, oh, no, no, actually, no, I don't think I'm the fear one because you know. Or if you're not sure, you ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit. He will reveal to you. And what you need to do if you're having to face up to your fears is you need to come, you take the bread, this moment, this powerful moment at the table, you take the bread and you find someone and you say, do you know what? It's fear and you, you talk and you pray. So you might want to share that with somebody that you know, somebody that you trust, your fears, your deepest fears. That's what Jacob had to, had to live with, his deepest fear was that he would lose Benjamin as well as Joseph. But he faced up to it and he handed Benjamin over. And as a result, his life bore much fruit. And the third response, some of us are Joseph, some of us are Jacob, some of us are like the brothers. And we're shaped by hidden, unconfessed sin. And it's not that we're the same as we were. Because what you find with the brothers is that actually they had changed. They treated Benjamin different to the way they treated Joseph. Now you might say, oh, well, maybe Benjamin wasn't such a wind-up merchant. But he clearly had the favour of his father, and that was the thing that got them. Benjamin had the favour of Jacob, but he is treated differently by the brothers. They'd learned. They'd learned. But their sin still hadn't been dealt with. Though they'd moved on, 22 years had passed, maybe they thought it was all over, their sin still hadn't been dealt with. And because it hadn't been dealt with, it meant they hadn't received forgiveness. They hadn't received restoration. They hadn't received healing. All of that hadn't happened. Because the sin was, oh, it was way back then. Oh, we've sorted that. We're different now. And some of us, you need to deal with hidden, unconfessed sin. And so what you need to do when you come and you take the bread 
And it might be that right in this room, there's somebody that you need to go, do you know what, I need to just, I need to forgive that person. You might need to go to them and sort that out. But nobody's going to know what you're doing because other people are doing other things. So I'm not asking you to get up out of your seat and come here. Nobody will know. But you might need to sort out some stuff. Maybe with some individuals, you might need to sort that out. Or you might need to go and just confess to somebody you trust. I just need to confess this. We're in a different place to the brothers because unlike the brothers, we know that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to lead us into all righteousness. They didn't know that. We know that. That's the difference between living this side of the gospel, this side of the cross. We know that. So we can come to him confidently. So communion this morning is about sharing and comforting one another. It's about facing your fears. And it's about confessing your sin. And you might go, oh my goodness. But do you know what? Just think of the story. Just think of what happened when, when, when the brothers, Joseph and Jacob, all did what they were meant to do. What happened? They were taken into Egypt and they were given the best of the land. God wants to take you into Egypt and he wants to give you the best of the land. Let's pray. So if the band want to come back up. What we're going to do is we're just going to sing a song. We're going to keep it brief and keep it simple. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing a song, oh, Kim, do you want to come up as well as Kim? Um, I'm going to invite you to come and take communion. And I'm just going to invite you to take your communion and share it with somebody that's, um, who you feel you can trust, you can pray with and talk to. And you need to respond in whichever way is right for you to respond. So I'm just going to pray. Uh, why don't we stand? Because um, there's going to be a... And you, you just come, while we sing, you just come and take. And uh, Father, we thank you that you're here. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're with us. And I pray now, Father, that um, your Holy Spirit would have permission in our lives to make a change where we need to make a change, to bring healing where we need to bring healing, to break what we need to break, to, to restore what needs to be restored. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just whenever you feel able, just come, take some bread, take some wine, and uh, go and share it with somebody. Come out to Kim.
Uh, let's just uh, close our eyes for a moment. Just want to. Some ways that was nice of uh, Kim and Donovan to sort of assist in handing out the bread and the wine. Uh, but that wasn't what I said, and that wasn't the point. The point wasn't that you came and somebody gave you bread and wine. Uh, the point was that you, would, you did what you needed to do with God. And so I, I hope and I pray that you did do that. That whether or not you received it from Donovan or from Kim, and, or, or that you did do what you needed to do with God. And maybe if you didn't come out because you just felt, hey, I'm not, I'm not ready to do any of those things, Therefore, this week, I will abstain from bread and wine. My prayer is that you will do what you need to do with God. And that if that means breaking something in you, you need to break it. Because you'll never enjoy the best of the land. You'll never get to the exalted place that God has for you unless you deal with some stuff. That's me as well. That's all of us. Yeah. So I was so impacted this week by what I knew God wanted me to say, I had a time of confession with my wife this morning. I told her things I hadn't told her before. And uh, praise the Lord, she still loves me, but I told her some things I hadn't told her before. Because I knew that I, I couldn't, I couldn't, once that had come up, I couldn't pretend. You know, like Jay could, couldn't get round the fact that Unless they went to Egypt, they were going to die of hunger. He couldn't get round it, so he faced up to it. So I'm just going to pray. We're going to, we're going to finish. But I'm praying that you will do what you need to do with God, that you will do it. Father, we thank you that you are uh, an ever-present God. We thank you that you're gracious and compassionate. We thank you that you're mighty to save and that you're that forgiveness is total. We thank you that, for that. And I do pray, uh, Father, for this church and for these many, many individuals here. I do pray, Father, that you would touch them where they need to be touched, that you would bring them to that place where they need to sort stuff and know your forgiveness and know your grace poured upon their lives and know what it is to live in the best of the land, which is where... Israel ultimately lived in Egypt for hundreds of years, the best of the land. So I pray that for them, Father. I pray for sensitivity to your spirit for each of us this day. I pray you will go with us this week. I pray you remind us of the things we need to be reminded of this week and that we will, we will deal with them. We will act on what you say. I ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Ben, you can just keep playing and now. You can get yourself a drink or still come and take communion. You can still pray if you want to do that.